We better start that. So, but so we'll be hopefully within the next week or so, we'll be uploading messages to the podcast again. Um, last I checked, we were at over 2,000 downloads in 41 countries. That's pretty crazy. From Williamsburg, Kentucky. So I'm actually looking at switching uh, podcast servers to where we can advertise. So the one, because like you have to pay, you have to pay a, a like a, it's a subscription to a um, provider, right? So I upload my stuff and then they launch it to iTunes, Google Play, all this different stuff. But we can't advertise. And so without using Facebook advertising, it's super, super hard to get anything advertised. So, but that, that's some things that is also in the works. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I got to start writing myself some directions and reminders about how I do everything because there's just so much to do that, I mean, it's like, you, you know, you would think as many times as I've set this stuff up, like even the recording stuff that I would just remember it, but it's like a week goes by and it's like, man, I got to sit there and think about, oh, how do I do this again? So, uh, but last week we talked about you must be born again, but why? And what does that even mean? And so, you know, we, we kind of, we don't want to in any way make anybody feel like that we're poking fun at them or that we're taking shots at them or anything else. Cause we certainly are not, but oftentimes it seems like a lot of Christian people cannot intelligently explain the new birth. And so if we can't intelligently explain something, what does that mean? It means we, ha- we ourselves lack understanding on the subject, right? So the more that we understand it, the better that we understand it, the easier it gets for us to explain things, right? And to teach others how to do so. Let me share that, uh, let me share that, uh, the, uh, the stream right here really quick. I forgot to do that just a minute ago. So, so there's that. So we'll see if we can get that up and going. One man band. All I need is a harmonica. So, but, so there we go. Okay. So, but we need to be able to intelligently explain to people why must you be born again? And, and we should be able to give people better information other than, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Because realistically speaking, that's almost an all-too-common answer, right? Well, what do I need to be saved from what? I mean, I've had people, I've heard people make that comment. Well, and they'll make it, you know, well, I've heard people say that I must be saved. I don't need to, what do I need to be saved from? Well, so we're going to talk about, tonight we're going to talk about what is salvation and what is saved. And so, see, it's important to understand that saved is not the very first thing that takes place in the, in the order. It's very important to understand that. And so we covered a lot last week about the new birth. The new birth. Why must you be born again? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so Nicodemus, it blew his mind. We've we seen that. That this guy, think about this, and we'll just reiterate this statement. Jesus is talking to one of the most elite teachers, if not the, the most elite teacher in all of Israel. Think about that. Because he tells Nicodemus, he says, are you not the teacher of Israel? And how is it that you do not understand these things? So this man, Nicodemus, was crazy educated in the Old Testament scriptures. This is what these people did for their life. It wasn't like us where we go to work and we read here and we read there and we study here and we study here. I mean, these guys, these men dedicated the sum of their life to the study and and understanding of the scriptures. So Jesus looks this Nicodemus in the eye and says, you must be born again or you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? Jesus said, Nicodemus, if I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, 
how can I tell you of heavenly things, right? And so, but, so we went through there and we broke that down about what is Jesus talking about, about you must be born again. So we went in there and we talked about the three parts of you that make you you. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. We talked about the fall of man. We talked about, we proved in the light of the Bible that you are not born spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. So you're born connected to God. You go through a season and time of your life. And then the very first time that you knowingly sin, boom, sin revives, Paul said, revived and I died. So very, we don't want to go back through and, and reteach that lesson, but it's a very, very important lesson. And, and let me just tell you all this is that for the next long period of time, every message is going to be building on the last one. So every, this is going to be a, a many, many part teaching series that's going to start out from the very beginning and go through all of the important, what, we, what the Lord says is this is what we want to do, right? So we want to cover salvation. We want to cover the new birth first. Then we're going to cover what is being saved, what is salvation. Then we're going to go in, we're going to do an in-depth teaching on this baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then we'll get that, when we get through that teaching series, then we're going to move into gifts of the Spirit. Then we're going to move into, we're going to, we may, even before the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we may talk about what actually is grace. Because there is, we have a narrow, narrow understanding and perspective and, of what grace is. But we come to find out scripture says that it's God, that the grace of God is manifold. So it's many different things, but people always interpret it as unmerited favor. Well, it's much more than that, thank God. So maybe we'll go from the new birth, saved, salvation. Maybe when we end that, we'll go into grace, talking about grace. Then we'll go into the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then we'll go into gifts of the Spirit. Then we'll go in, see, this is going to be something that, when the Lord began to put this in my heart in November, kind of the direction that, that I saw him put in my spirit was, a person could get in at any part and go backwards and understand. So say they get in on part 17, <laughs> right? They get in on this part 17 and they can go backwards. And so they could go back and get, you see what I'm saying? So it'll be a, it, it will be a, a sectioned off teaching series that is designed at fully encompassing whatever the Lord wants to teach. That is down to the nuts and bolts, important stuff, right? All right. So one of the things is I, that I wanted to cover just to, just to, um, just to refresh this statement is is that Jesus in John chapter 3 tells Nicodemus he says you must be born again we talked about that even a uh, one accurate rendering of the greek there would be refathered from above you must be fathered from above you must be born again so Jesus in John chapter 3 speaks of two births now if you remember Genesis chapter 2 when God told Adam, he said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. All right. Now, the, he the literal Hebrew right there would say, in dying, you will die. So Adam and Eve ate of the tree, did they not? All right. They did not die physically immediately. So the very first death that they partook in was spiritual death, separation from God. Spiritual death is the separation of your spirit from the life-giving, the, the spirit of God that actually gives eternal life. We think about this life as being, this animation as being the full extent of life, but it's not. This body is animated by a living spirit that's on the inside of it. Now, 
that spirit it becomes separated, dead, spiritually dead, when we sin. All right? So God prophesies to Adam, and he says, in dying, you will die. So Genesis 2 tells us of two deaths. Jesus tells Nicodemus of two births. Now, everybody will participate in two deaths, but not everybody will participate in two births. Now, we, now let's say this is that we, let me stop right there and clarify that statement. Now, we're not talking about a baby that dies. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who comes to, fruit, comes to age and has the capability and knowledge to willfully sin. So anybody that gets to that point will participate in two deaths. Let me rephrase that like that so that way it's a little clearer. Okay? So the first death is spiritual death. Then the second death is natural death. Now, you will participate. Everybody participates in one birth, natural birth. But not everybody will participate in, the new, in, in being born again. It's terribly unfortunate. But there will be some who will not be born again. They will go into eternity separated from God. So, but Genesis 2 tells us of two deaths. Jesus tells us of two births in John chapter 3. So it's very important for us to understand that. All right, so what is salvation? So we hear, we, we, are, we are bad. We are really, really bad to kind of lump terms and words all together and then it's kind of like i use this ideology i, I use this uh, analogy a lot maybe it's just because i like shake and bake when i was a kid but right remember you, you anybody remember the shake and bake right yeah you, you had the components that you had to mix together and then you put the pork chop or the chicken in the shake and bake in the bag and you shake it right so we take, a lot of times I see, we take things that are actually separate things that should be understood as thoroughly as we can understand them at the moment. We don't want to say fully because we will never fully understand anything. For us to claim that we fully understand anything in Scripture is to say that we're operating and firing at God's level, and that's just simply not the case, right? We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So, born again, salvation, and saved are all kind of this, these terminologies that get dumped right into one bag, and they get all shook together, and then you get down here in good old uh, <laughs> southeast Kentucky, and everybody, the, the terminology that you hear is, well, you need to be saved, or brother such and such got saved, or blah, 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 and, and, we, and please, please, Facebook, understand. We're not, we're not poking fun at anybody. People are operating and in, in, in speaking from a position of what they know, right? But, you know, we should know more today than we knew six months ago. We should really know more today than we knew 30 days ago about the Scriptures, even if it's just a little more. We should know more. See, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. Ah, so there's where it gets us, right? It's come down to this. We're going to have to start studying the Word. But so the very first act that takes place is the new birth. And we come to find out, and we're going to look at the Scripture, but we come to find out in Scripture that, that, that the qualifier for salvation, the new birth, being saved, is what? Sister West, would you hand me my Bible right there? Let's go to let, let's look at something real quick. Thank you, ma'am. All right, so let's look at something really quick because see, there's a lot of confusion about about the parameters and qualifications for salvation. Okay, including if you're not been water baptized, you can't go to heaven. So, but let's let's look at Romans chapter ten real quick. And we're going to break that down. We're going to talk about, you know, the Bible speaks of three baptisms. You know, we're going to cover that. We're going to teach on that. We're going to teach on that. What did Jesus mean in Mark chapter 16 when he said, if you, if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved, and if you believeth not, you, and you, you'll be damned? What did he mean there? 
See, we're going to cover that. We're going to talk about that. We're going to explain that. We're going to teach that. <laughs> we're going to, we're going, the Lord is going to teach us. He's going to bring it. So let's look at Romans chapter 10. Let's look at the, what is the qualifier for the new birth? So, well, let's just start at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, it's interesting enough that he said... He says the end of the law for righteousness. So it doesn't mean this is a big confusion thing, and we're going to go in, and that's going to be something that we teach on. But just because you're in Christ and under grace does not mean that you have, you have ample provision to sin against God and to break his commandments. Okay? So for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for every, to everyone who believes. I need to remember that because that's going to be a key fundamental scripture in one of what I'm going to teach on that. For, now listen to what he says. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. All right, now let's wait just a minute before we endeavor into this next part of this. Who is, who is saying this? The Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul is saying this. This is not the intellectual reasoning or thought of a man. It's important to get a hold of that. This is not what was Paul thinking when he wrote Romans 10. No, he was thinking exactly what the Holy Spirit was saying. And he was writing what the Spirit of God was saying. This is not intellectual reasoning of man where Paul said, huh, you know, what could I really say right here that would sound good? Well, you know, there's too much given, there's too much teaching given on Paul's feet. How was Paul feeling? What was his emotions? Blah, blah, blah. This is not, this word from cover to cover is not rooted nor based nor founded in the intellectual reasonings or thoughts of men or their emotions or their feelings. This is the inspired word of the living God. So the Holy Spirit moved upon each writer. So the writer is the pen and the Spirit of God is the writer. Okay. So at least we can agree to that. All right. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them, but the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now listen to what he says here. And by he, I mean the Holy Ghost. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we're going to talk about this scripture tonight. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, so then you can readily see right there that the qualification for the new birth, receiving salvation, and being saved is what? Believing in your heart, and confessing with your mouth, confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You, you cannot be righteous without Christ. You can't be righteous without being joined to Christ. So it says here that for with the heart confession, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All right, so then nowhere in this text does the Spirit of God say, well, if you're not baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, you're going to hell. Doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say that if I only believe in the way of the fundamental Baptist, I'm going to hell. Doesn't say that if I only believe in the way of the Pentecostals, if I don't believe in the way of the Pentecostals, everyone else is going to hell, does it? Now, there are people who teach and preach that, aren't they? 
All right? Doesn't say right there that if you're not water baptized, you can't get to heaven. Does it? It don't say that. So what is the qualifier for eternal life, the new birth, salvation, and being saved? That you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you confess with your mouth that God raised, that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess him with your mouth that he is Lord. You are now a new creature in Christ. And it didn't say anything about having to be brought up in the way of the Presbyterians. I'm going to tell you something. You get these people preaching and teaching, well, the Catholics can't be going to heaven because, because, because they believe this or because they believe that. Or No, I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> if they believe on Jesus in their heart and confess him with their mouth that he's Lord, they're going. And God don't care what we think about it. I mean, I'm not trying to be rude there. But, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways, we've got some idiotic ways of teaching and preaching and thinking. And God's not moved or persuaded by the idiocracies or the hypocrisies of man. He watches over his word to perform it, and he will perform it. He doesn't care what you don't like about it. I ain't try I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But there are so many... There are so many people out there who try to chain people to a system. If you don't read the King James Bible, you're going to hell. Well, well, I would love to see that proved to me in the light of the Scriptures. Show me where it says that. Show me where it says that if I don't read a King James Bible, I'm going to hell. See, it's how these letters were penned before 100 A.D., and the King James Bible was assembled in 1611. So 1,511 years later, after these letters are written in Greek, you see what I'm saying? If you don't sing anything, but if you sing anything in church but the red back hymn, you're going to hell. Prove that to me in the light of Romans chapter 10, please. Prove that to me in the Scriptures. Because you cannot prove that in the Scriptures, and that is simply a matter of your opinion and perspective that's wrong in the sight of the God. See that? See, we've got a lot of people trying to keep other people out of the kingdom. Come on. We don't want to be, those guys. We don't want to be that way, right? So what is salvation? <laughs> what is salvation? All right, let's read. Go to Acts chapter 4. You're going to find out that this terminology, salvation, is extremely an extremely important terminology. So let's go to Acts chapter 4. Now let me set the stage for you here just a little bit. Man, i gotta, I got to start preaching faster because it's already 740. Goodness. So... All right, so let's break this down. So Acts chapter 1, this is just a quick reference. Acts chapter 1 is where Jesus ascends, right? Jesus ascends into heaven. The angels stand there and they go, why are you standing there looking up? This Jesus in whom you have, who has ascended in this way will come back in a similar manner, right? Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost, right? So on the day of Pentecost, there is about 120 in the upper room. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in like a mighty rushing wind and the believers there are filled with the Holy Ghost and it says they began to speak in tongues. And then Peter, receiving supernatural boldness, stands up and preaches the first message of the assembled church after the Holy Spirit has been poured out and about 3,000 people are born again that day. Hallelujah. That's a good day. <laughs> Man, that is a good day. All right, so then Acts chapter 3 is Peter and John are bebopping their way to the temple. You know what I mean? They're, just, they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And they go past, they're going through the gate called Beautiful. Now this man has been laid daily at the gate, 
let's look at that real quick. I didn't got that in my notes, but let's look at that because I'm going to show you something. Acts uh, chapter 3. Now it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. All right, now they're in Jerusalem. The same Jerusalem that just months, we don't know how long there is between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. But it's not a great deal of time. It's not a long expanse of time. Months, maybe, maybe a year, whatever. So this is the same this is the same temple that Jesus would have been going into. And so it says that, that, that whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, Look at us. So he, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold do I, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaped it, leaping up, stood and walked, entering and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping, praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement as to what had happened to him. All right. Now read the next verse. Now the lame man who was healed, uh, who, who held on to Peter, and all the people ran together uh, on the porch, which is called Solomon. Right? Now, see, you're going to keep on reading here. You're going to come to find out that this man had been in this position for like 40 years. Let me find that verse right there. Hang on just a second. This is one of the things you have trouble when you have when you preach just by inspiration. All right. And so you see that it... Where is that at right there? I know it's right there in front of me. Anyway, it's like 38 years, something like that. I can't believe I can't see that right there. It's right in front of me, right in front of my eyes. Anyway, the man had been had the man had been in this position for many many years. I'll have to put that in the notes. But anyway, it says when so this miracle takes place with this man. Okay, this man has been laid at the gate for many many years. So Jesus walked past this guy. Jesus walked past this man, and that man was never healed. But now if you keep on reading here, you're going to come to find out that it says, look here in verse 3, it says that those who, in Acts chapter 4, it says those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So Peter, this one singular miracle That is performed on this man who's been paralyzed all these years, and I'm pretty sure it was like 38 years. This one single miracle produced 5,000 salvations instantaneously. 5,000 new births. Ain't that what it says? It says, and the number of the men who came at, to be about 5,000. However, many, heard, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to men. Men, the number of men that came to believe was 5,000. That's five. How many families do you think was affected in that? How many families, individual families, do you think was, was affected by those 5,000, approximately 5,000 men getting born again? So if we go on down there and we look, it says that... Uh, in verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or what name have you done this? So they arrest Peter and John after this miracle. They arrest them. 
<laughs> the, the God works this miracle through Peter and John. This man that's been bound all these years is healed. 5,000 people are born, about 5,000 people are born again and added to the kingdom of God, and Peter and John are arrested. <laughs> Sounds like something that happened to me and Dave Bowman. <laughs> Glory to God. I'd say Michael Mays, but I can't never get him out of his house to do nothing. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. But um, so they set him down in the midst, and then watch what they say. He, they, they demand, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I was just trying to glance right there. Man, that third me, I can't, I, aggravates me. I can't remember how many years that guy had been crippled. All right, so what do they say here? Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And then Romans 1 and 16 says this. Paul says it like this. The Spirit of God through Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So what does this mean? If born again, salvation, and saved are all just really the same thing, as, a, as unfortunately a large majority of Christians understand it and interpret it, if it is all genuinely just all the same thing lumped together, why are, they, why are these specific terms being used independent of one another? If salvation and saved was the same thing, why does the Spirit of God say, that, nor there is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So then that would, if we was just really honest, that would tell us there must be something going on here that we need to know. Because there's not salvation in any other other than him. And, and it's in his name that we must be saved. You see what I'm saying? See, we need to be able to explain this stuff. We need to be able to understand it and explain it. So, starting with, I'm going to give you some notes, and I can make you all, if you want these definitions, it'd be far easier for me to pull these out of my notes and send them to you via email. So if that's something that you want, or Facebook, if that's something that you want, um, shoot me a message, and I'll send you these definitions, because these come from Bible dictionaries. But first, we're going to start with uh, the Strong's Dictionary, all right? So salvation here used in Acts 4 and 12 and Romans 1 and 16. Now these are now this don't this word shows up like 43 times in the New Testament. I only use two examples here. But this is the Greek word soteria. It's Strong's number 4991, G4991. Now listen to what this word means. It can mean to deliver, health, salvation, save or saving. It's defined as deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation, deliverance from the molestation or the attack of enemies, and which in this statement would also include to, uh, with the salvation of or safety of the soul. Strong's also goes on to say that salvation is the present possession of all true believers. Salvation is the present possession of all true believers. 
and we're going to go through a lot of definitions right here. Then speaking to future salvation, or the sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians, redeemed from all earthly ills, will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummated and eternal kingdom of God. So it gives you a definition here of fourfold salvation. Saved from the penalty, the power, the presence, and the pleasure of sin. The New Unger's Bible Dictionary says this, In the New Testament, salvation is regarded almost exclusively as deliverance from the power and dominion of sin. And of this, Jesus Christ is the author. You know, you'll come to find out in Hebrews, it says he's the author of eternal salvation. It is freely offered to all men, but is conditioned upon repentance and faith in Christ. Salvation proceeds from the love of God. It is based upon the atonement wrought by Christ, is realized in forgiveness, regeneration, sanctification, and sanctification, and culminates in the resurrection and glorification of all true believers. Man, I like this one too. This is the Easton's Bible Dictionary. Easton's Bible Dictionary says that in the New Testament, it is specially used with reference to the great deliverance from the guilt and pollution of sin wrought out by Jesus Christ, the great salvation. Then you go on to find out that I really liked this quote from uh, Holman's Bible Dictionary. Listen to this. Holman's Bible Dictionary says this about salvation. In the New Testament, salvation by grace alone, through faith, in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the dominant theme. Salvation begins with the initiating of God's love, God's eternal purpose is to save sinners through Jesus' atoning death on the cross. So God, let me say, let's say that one more time. God's eternal purpose is to save sinners through Jesus' atoning death on the cross. That's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. Thus, Christology is a vital component of the New Testament and relates directly to the doctrine of salvation. Specifically, Jesus' nature as the God-man and his substitutionary death on the cross are the key elements. The New Testament cannot properly be understood apart from a right view of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. As John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. All New Testament writers witness to the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for salvation. The preaching of both Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, further attests to the centrality of the atonement and resurrection as the gospel message. Salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus. So think about it like this. This is how the Holy Spirit said this to me a couple years ago. This is what I call the uh, HGBD. This is the Holy Ghost Bible Dictionary. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Salvation is the state that the believer steps into after being born again. As the birth of a child causes that child to live on the earth and inside its boundaries, so too the new birth causes every believer to live inside the boundaries of the kingdom of the Son of God's love with full access to all the benefits and blessings of God in Christ. Hallelujah. So salvation is the state 
in which you live. So you're birthed into the kingdom, into a state called salvation. That is your now existence. And Ephesians 1 and 3 tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you come in to the kingdom through the new birth. You now live in this state called salvation in which you have access to all that God has to offer. It's like God's benefits package. Salvation is God's benefits package. So, see, saved is a terminology that's so much different than salvation. And we're going to prove that. We've got just a few minutes. Let's prove it. All right, but let me say this. Being born again creates a brand new spirit inside the one who has believed. See 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. After the new birth, you are now dwelling in the perpetual state called salvation. You are now a brand new creation in Christ. You are now living in an eternal state called salvation. So then, ultimately, we must want to know, we would want to endeavor to understand if this, we've explained what the new birth is, we've discussed what salvation is, what does saved mean? What does it mean to be saved? What does that mean? All right, so you go back, <clears throat> excuse me, to what Paul says, the Spirit of God through Paul says in Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to read you the, the uh, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what he says. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among heaven by which we must be saved. All right, so let's break this down and let's look at this. What time did we start straight? What time did we start? About 7.15, 7.10, something like that? <laughs> this, may be, this may be so much. Now, we already read, we, we started this out reading Romans 10, 1 through 13. But I want to show you something here. And I go back to, and, and when I go back to Romans 10, it says that, if you can, that, that if you confess, in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it goes on to say, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the new birth shoves us into this state called salvation. But we're looking at saved. And then it goes on to say, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Will not be. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, now it's important to understand. It is extremely important to understand that just as English words... One single English word can have multiple different definitions, okay? It is exactly the same way with the he Greek and Hebrew scriptures. And I've been studying Greek at a, at a university level for the last little while, learning about, you know, learning the, the ins and outs. And, 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 you know, I'm endeavoring within the next few months to be able to read the New Testament in Greek and, and all the, and I mean, I'm progressing pretty, fairly well for you know, not being the smartest guy in the room. But so it's important to understand here that this word used in this scripture that's translated saved is translated different ways in the New Testament. So what is being said through the Spirit, through the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God here, being saved, we're going to see it translated something in different ways. And I'm going to show that to you. But I want to read you, start with the definition, a good, just Strong's definition of this Greek word, sozo. Okay? So this is the Greek word, sozo. Strong's 4982. It can mean to save, to deliver, to protect, 
heal, preserve, do well, or make whole. It can mean to save, keep safe and sound, rescue from danger or destruction. It can also mean to rescue one from injury or peril, to save one that's suffering, to preserve one who is in danger of destruction. Mm. To save, in the technical biblical sense, to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment, to save from the evils which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance. All right, so here we see that in Acts and Romans, this word sozo is translated saved. But now if you go back to Mark, I want to show you how it's, and we're going to land right here. Mark, go to Mark chapter 5, and I want to show you something. So you'll remember, if you, if you just have somewhat of a decent memory, you would understand and remember that Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 4 ends with Jesus going across the sea to the region of Gadara. There's a supernatural storm. The devil tries to sink the boat. Jesus gets off on the, rebukes the storm, gets off on the other side in the region of Gadara. He meets the madman of Gadara, the man who's demon-possessed with the legion. He slaps the devil out of that guy, sends that man preaching, goes on. Gets back on the boat, goes back to the other side. Then he encounters who? Jairus. Master, my daughter is drawing her last breath. Please come and heal her. Jesus is on the way. On the way, Jesus finds himself in an interesting predicament. Because a woman full of faith says to herself and keeps on saying, if only I can touch the hem of his garment. This woman has had an issue of blood for 12 years and spent everything that she had, and she's not better, she's got worse, and she's broke. So this woman is pushing through the crowd. All I got to do is get to Jesus. All I got to do is get to Jesus. He don't have to see me. He don't have to touch me. He don't have to speak to me. I don't even have to touch his person. All I got to do is I'll just sneak through there and just, and he'll never know it. And I'll be out of my way. Well, don't you know that it didn't work out for her like that? Right? So if I start at verse 25, it says, Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, <laughs> she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from that affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your what? Affliction. Now I'm pulling up Mark chapter 5 here, so that way I can look right at this. He says, daughter, go your way. Your faith has made you sozo. Same word used in Romans 10. When Paul, when the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul says, if you Believe you believe, call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Jesus says right here, daughter, go your way. Your faith has made you sozo, has delivered you, has made you well, has made you whole. Well, all right. Now we could see that in the making whole of this woman, was she delivered from the power of sickness? She was delivered from the power of her sickness, wasn't she? She was. All right, so we could see how that definition would apply here in Mark chapter 5. All right, so when you were born again and you, and you ultimately were saved by calling upon the name of the Lord, you were rescued from the power of your sin. All right, so then also this woman was, was delivered, was rescued, right? She was made whole. To make well. All right? So you can see, readily see here, that naturally speaking, this woman was rescued from the power of the sickness. 
delivered from the effect of the sickness and restored. All right. So then spiritually speaking, Paul says, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be rescued from the penalty of sin and delivered from its power. Can you see that? So there's a whole lot more to this terminology being saved than what we think there is. You are rescued. When you are birthed, refathered from above, you are birthed into the kingdom through what? The new birth. You are now in a state of salvation. This is God's benefits package. This is where we have access and benefit to every good thing that's perfect and from above. And you are rescued from the penalty of your sin. You are rescued from the jaws of hell. You are delivered from the punishment of not believing on Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. You're rescued. You're delivered. You're made whole. Can you see that? You have been saved. The Lord Jesus rescued you. Can you see that? So can we see how, why it's so important to understand the difference between salvation and being saved? Because if we just simply say that we've been saved, all we're really saying is that I've been rescued from the penalty of my sin, I've been delivered from the stain of my sin, but, I, but there's nothing else past that. But when I teach and preach what salvation is, I'm not only now have I been rescued from the power of my sin, been delivered from the penalty of judgment and death, and all of that, now I'm also, according to Colossians 1, placed in the kingdom of the Son of God's love, and now I dwell in this state called salvation, where now I'm living in God's absolute best. And it starts with the new birth. In the new birth, you are rescued. You are delivered. You are fathered from above, you are taken out, you are removed out from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. So when we don't talk about all of that, you know what we do? We really unintentionally demean God's work. We really unintentionally demean the work of Jesus. It starts with the new birth. And in the new birth, you are birthed into salvation and rescued, saved. Isn't that something? Isn't that beautiful? Mm, that is so beautiful. Praise God. So, I know everybody here is born again, but if someone's watching online and you've never been born again, I want to talk to you. We want to talk to you about the new birth, talk to you about dwelling in the God's benefit package called salvation and being rescued from the penalty of sin. So I'm going to stop the stream. And if anybody has any questions,